So I'm Nick Krasner, delighted to be on the Women Who Work podcast, really pleased to be talking about my experience of uh, building my businesses, becoming a dad for uh, the first and second time, and really looking forward to the discussion with two people who I admire a lot and uh, discussing all of the highs and lows uh, of parenthood and business. Nick, we are absolutely delighted to have you on our podcast. You've been a huge champion of diversity and inclusion initiatives and have been a great support to us at Women Who Work. In your professional life, you've been hugely successful. You've set up Krasner Consulting, Krasner Capital and Krasner Ventures. Is it true that you are the youngest ever owner of an investment bank? Oh, wow. What a place to start. What a place to start. (laughs) Firstly, thank you so much for having me. Secondly, I absolutely admire both of you guys, and I really love what you're doing. I think there needs to be more of this sort of thing um, as we progress in the working world and in life. So well done to you. Thank you. Um, So am I the youngest person with an investment bank? Um, So I created an investment bank when... um, Uh, Many people thought it was probably the wrong time and I ended up going through a regulatory process and I think at the time I was the youngest person in history to have a fully regulated um, investment banking firm. So yes um, to your strong opening question. (laughs) (laughs) That is hugely impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. In your personal life, you have two young daughters and you had one daughter earlier this year. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited. Yes, a little Hermione arrived about four months ago, um, our second daughter. And uh, yeah, again, another beautiful moment in, in, in the family life. We've all been blessed with two daughters. Amazing. Two daughters all round. <laughs> that's yeah. actually crazy. <laughs> Love it. Lots thought? of women who are going to be part of Women Who Work, hopefully. Yeah, yeah literally, literally. <laughs> How did you find the transition to fatherhood first time round and then second time round? Um, so I think what happened was I was building um, these three companies that you've, that you've uh, mentioned. And I think that as I was getting closer to the the sort of starting line of becoming a dad, I had made a really conscious decision that I wanted to not be the person I was um, prior to having kids. So before I had kids, I was like the classic person of working, you know, five or six days a week, 15 to 20 hours a day, um, working on deals, traveling. There would be times when I was in three different countries Um, in one week, you know, going to the airport on a Sunday, arriving in Hong Kong on Monday, traveling to Frankfurt, finishing the week in Dubai or wherever. And I sort of said to myself, this won't be sustainable for the type of parent I wanted to be. Um, So I spoke long and hard with my wife and I said, you know, I still want to do business. I I love being an entrepreneur, but um, being a dad is something which I want to put first. And so gradually, after making that conscious decision, I guess I I didn't wind down the business because actually we stayed super stable in terms of what we were doing, but the way in which I was working shifted massively. So about two months before my first daughter arrived, I went from those kind of crazy 100-hour weeks down to about 35 or 40 hours, um, which for quote-unquote normal people is a normal working week, but for me was just like crazy. Um, And then I think that helped me 
sort of take my foot off the pedal that helped me to delegate, helped me to become more efficient. And then by the time Ophelia actually arrived um, back in 2019, I could fully detach. Um, and it was the strangest feeling ever. I deleted my emails from my my iPhone and I didn't have that wow. safety net of being able to go and refresh and find out what was coming through. Um, and it was crazy, you know, after 10 insane years to suddenly be, you know, completely emailless was huge. Um, Are you a man of extremes? A total man of extremes. If I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to be an extreme version of that dad. Yeah, I feel like you've gone from one one extreme to the other. Totally into my extremes. Um, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I've got to be, you know, that person. I'm not a competitive person, so it's not about comparing myself to, you know, the Joneses next door, but I am someone who wants to go all in. Um, and yeah, so I did that. So made the transition into paternity leave, had three months when no one was able to contact me at all, clients, colleagues, etc. And uh, detached, threw myself into becoming a dad. Absolutely loved it. Um, insanely difficult, as I think it is with your first. You know, you worry a lot. You don't know what you're doing. You have all sorts of um, people uh, giving you their thoughts and opinions. And, you know, thank God we had the mums because they they uh, definitely kept us a little bit sane. So detached completely, threw myself into that, and I guess the rest is, the rest is history. So you had three months, and did you take three months again with Hermione? So I actually had, with Ophelia, I actually had a year, but okay. it was it was a phased sort of paternity leave. So I took three months where I wasn't contactable at all. Then I had another three months where I was sort of doing check-in days. So once every three weeks I was going to the office for, you know, five or six hours and I was checking in and looking at what was happening and so on. And then for the six months thereafter, I effectively worked two out of five days. So I say that with Ophelia I had a sort of a good year of paternity leave, but in different guises. With Hermione, it was a similar thing in that I had three months completely off. And, you know, when you have a toddler who's who's going to nursery five mornings a week, you're sort of up and out of the house anyway, uh, regardless of how bad the night before has been. So with Hermione, um, who's now four months, I found myself going back into the office a little bit more than I did with Ophelia. But I've still had that experience of completely unplugging and just throwing myself into becoming a dad of two. And you said you loved it. Was it hard? What were the challenging bits? Was it just the relentlessness, the nights? Tell us a bit more about that. Where, 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 where do we begin? Um, so every, some of the people listening to this podcast will, will, will know the experience. I mean... I think we all, as professionals, we, we kind of have skills of sitting at a desk, operating with clients or internal stakeholders, etc. When you become a, a, a parent, none of that applies. Your skills are completely and utterly useless. Um, so I went from being a sort of, you know, busy person, you know, trying to do a lot to literally having no clue whatsoever However many times I read Gina Ford, I still, none of it was sticking <laughs> and it was just complete carnage. Um, my wife and I uh, are a pretty good team. So I think we kind of just felt our way through it and sort of got stuck in together and just literally hung on for dear life. But I mean, challenges, like where, where do we start? You know, the nights, the days, the feeding, the combi feeding, like 
all new to me, challenging. And, um, you know, we got there in the end, but definitely wasn't plain sailing in any regard. It is funny to go from feeling expert at a job to basically being a total novice at something. Total novice. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, it was it was worse than being a grad on your first day <laughs> and it just didn't stop. It was all all new to me. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's like anything in life. If you have the desire and the appetite to apply yourself, you know, you do eventually get it and, you know, you can cope with a baby screaming in your face from time to time who's hungry or whatever um, and you kind of get there. And through all the tough moments, it is true what they say, that you have these beautiful moments of doing a bottle at three o'clock in the morning when your eyes are half closed and the baby staring up at you it energizes you in a way um, that's hard to describe to anyone who hasn't had that experience. But you find your strength and so on. And, and it is just absolutely brilliant. You know, that feeling you have of looking after someone, that lovely, sincere kind of cocoon that you have with your other half and so on, really beautiful moments. So if you compare the being in Heathrow Airport T5 um, on a Sunday, heading off to, to Asia to go and do two days of negotiation to just being in a lovely, you know, warm bubble in South Kensington with your your first baby. It was absolutely beautiful um, and memories that, that will stay with me forever. And how did you find the balance with your wife? Because I have been, I am on maternity leave and I've been on maternity leave before and both times sometimes a bit of resentment can build in with your husband, um, certainly from my perspective, because sometimes you can be a bit jealous that they're going off and doing things and you're stuck with a screaming baby who is struggling to get on the bottle, for example. Yeah. You were both at home, which is quite, actually quite unusual, but perhaps desirable. How, how did you find the balance? Were there difficult times or was it yeah. actually... Enjoyable. I think I think there's always difficult times. I can't I can't um say that it's completely plain sailing, but I think again my wife and I sort of sat down and and spoke about how to make it as equal as we could. Um and I really take my hat off to my wife because you know sometimes I think men are somewhat precluded from certain situations yeah. of, of becoming a young parent. And my wife sort of said, you know what? let's just do it together let's just give it a go crack on um she expressed almost from sort of week four so that meant that we had you know her breastfeeding me being able to do bottles and it made it relatively equal and I could do you know a lot at night so she could get rest um and that kind of avoided the usual frictions because it is stressful you are tired mm. and so on with Ophelia, with that first paternity leave, I can't think of one moment where we really came to loggerheads. Actually, it was pretty good, um, albeit hard. And then I think this time around, um, Vanessa's on mat leave now for a year, and I have gone back. Um, so what I've been really conscious of is sort of making sure I'm still back at a good time, Um making sure I still stick with my two or three afternoons a week with my eldest. I try and take out both once a week during the actual week rather than just the weekend. And I sort of encourage Vanessa to go to her yoga class, go and see her friends, um, go and check in with colleagues, you know, to make sure she's not missing out on that kind of side of thing. Cause it is, it's again, it's exciting. It's energizing. It's nice to be out and 
you know, even doing stuff like this with you guys, it's it's fun. So I try and sort of push her to to stick to that. Okay. Um, not always easy because obviously she wants to be with the newborn and so on. But you know, I think we we again we found a nice balance for sure. This sounds like a really good blueprint for you know families going forward, rather than having mum at home doing everything, dad in the office. Um, and we've come to a place where you know generally a lot of couples both work. Um, but when it comes to the childcare, feeding, maternity leave, et cetera, that tends to fall to the mum yeah. traditionally. Um, and that's something we really want to see change because we think that more men taking paternity leave is a huge part of unlocking women working, getting back to work. Um, you don't strike me as someone who cares much what people think. You'll do your own thing. But what would you say to a man who's on the fence about taking leave? You know, maybe his team, no one's done it in his team before. Um, he doesn't run his own business, so isn't quite the same situation as you. What would your message be to dad like that? Yeah, so um, tons of points in that amazing, amazing question. So firstly, I think what I've done, I'm immensely lucky. So I sort of, you know, beasted myself in my 20s to line myself up to be able to be around in my 30s. Um, and that was, again, something conscious. I don't have many talents, but one of them is to sort of have a little bit of foresight and say, okay, if I build a platform for myself in my 20s, then in my 30s I can reap the rewards. And that's what I'm doing now. I can be around because I've built that platform. So not everyone has that that foresight nor that, that ability to do it. So I'm really lucky. Point two, I think it takes immense courage. Um, you know, I work with international law firms, venture investors. I, as, a, as an investment banker, I work with strategic buyers and PE. You know, a lot of the time what I see is the blokes don't really talk about their kids. The blokes don't really bring their kids in. The blokes sort of don't really have a kind of blueprint as, as uh, of what to do. Yeah. So it's quite tricky for us to sort of be like, well what do I do? Because I don't know anyone else who's who's done it. We all know the problem of representation. You need to see people do things. But I would say to people, have a lot of courage. Um, ask questions to your employers um, and think what you want and think if you're on the right platform to do it. And what's encouraging is that more often than not, I'm seeing people ask the question, check in on the policies that they have, shared parental leave, um, you know, the accruement of uh, annual leave, which you can put next to your paternity leave, non-paid leave and so on. And lots of companies and firms are changing. And so more often than not, if you have the courage to sort of say, this is what I want, this is what I want to do, go and talk to HR, talk to your boss, you can figure some stuff out. So I think actually the picture is more positive than we might be led to believe. However, if you look at what happens after that first six months or first year, you do, at least I tend to see a lot of um, blokes just going back yeah, and sort of working, you know, the hours that they always did, say eight until eight and not being around for bedtime, uh, bath time and so on. And I think for me, that's what needs to, to change. I've seen a lot of change at the beginning yeah. um, of becoming a dad, but not a lot throughout the journey. And I think... There are lots of ways in which you can make it more sustainable for fathers to be at home. Um, so what what are we doing in my business? I'm totally fine with people 
logging off at sort of 4.30, 5 o'clock, logging back on at 8 o'clock, that whole flexi time thing. It means you can share the pickup from school or nursery or whatever childcare you have in place. Um, you can log back on at night after the kids, you know, touch wood, hopefully sleep through. Um, we've all been, you asked about challenges, the, the teething stories, the, there's tons of them. Um, so you can do things that make it more sustainable, um, but it requires sitting down and thinking. And obviously that's hard to do if you're working 2,000 chargeable hours a year at whatever international law firm or if you're grinding out, you know, all sorts of AUM increases in the asset management world. It's hard to actually detach and think, what do I want? But there's some good stories out there. So we need to perpetuate that rather than the bad stuff of the woman quitting, staying at home, not having the ability to go back and the man just working night and day for sure. I totally agree. And it's a great opportunity to amplify your story. Um, and I think, you know, previously we've we've only interviewed women, so we thought it was really important to give a different perspective and, and have a man here talking about their experience, what they've done and how they've, you know, met all the challenges. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I really appreciate the platform. I think the, um, I, I haven't got it all right at all. I'm just trying my best. Um, and as I say, I've been really lucky to, you know, have that um, optionality of saying, this is how I want to do it. And then working in collaboration with my wife, and then also my clients and my colleagues and so on. Again, you know, a lot of my ability to take time out um, has come through, you know, I've got an amazing vice president, Katie, who is my right hand, you know, she can effectively do everything I can, but probably better. <laughs> so it's just a question of saying to the clients, hey, you know, let's park this with her. Um, while I'm out, I'm going to be out for six months, you know, don't call me, call her. And, you know, making moves to kind of empower your colleagues to delegate things, to bring them into the fold. So you're working in collaboration at home and at work. And you're making kind of bold statements to clients, you know, because they might have never seen the vice president or the senior associate or whatever that you're putting on their, their matter. So you have to, you know, have that foresight to take the time to do it. Um, you can't just sit there and hope for the best, in my experience. And having the right people around you is the key, isn't it? 100, 100%. Yeah, you have to have, you know, a team, a structure, whatever that that is, you have to, you can't do this by yourself in a little, you know, isolated box somewhere. You have to talk at home, structure things at home, at work, and then you can continue to spin some plates. Um and I don't think I don't think this is unusual. I mean, you know, my mum, who was a real driving force in my family and and you know my life when I was growing up, was busy spinning, running the family home. Um, you know, my dad was often. I mean, he actually lived abroad. So my mum, my brother, and I were in Europe. My dad was uh, posted abroad. My mum was running our sort of infrastructure while studying. You know, one of her degrees whilst working, whilst building a business. So I think a lot of what I'm doing, I'm sort of emulating her. Um, so it's not like I'm doing something unusual. I think I'm more just emulating some of the amazing women who I've seen as I've been growing up rather than emulating, you know, blokes in my industries. I think it's very easy to go to the office and hide. Really easy. You know, you go there, it's warm, you have a cup of tea, you talk to colleagues. People you leave you alone. You, you yeah. get left alone. Yeah. You know, there's no one saying, you know, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, yeah. let's go to the park. You know, it's 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 chill. 
So, um, yeah, you have to kind of come out of that comfort zone and try and emulate some of the amazing women. It'd be interesting to hear a bit more about um, the work culture, you know, talks about men going to work and sort of hiding. Mm-hmm. I also often hear men refer to it as babysitting when to yes. look after their kids. That yeah. drives me nuts. Yes. Babysitting when it's your own child. I've got to babysit yeah. tonight. Yeah. They're your uh, own children. Yeah, yeah, daddy daycare. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're your kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think about, you know, cultures in workplaces and... Um, you know how they might, how we might be able to change them, or if you know how that might be possible. There's there's an awful lot that needs to be done. So um, my businesses sit in consulting slash headhunting, investment banking, and venture principal investing. And unfortunately, every single one of those industries, plus the industries that we serve. So as an investment bank, we serve private equity. As a consulting firm, we serve international law firms. As a VC investor, we can collaborate on deals. We can co-invest and so on. In all of them, there is um, good stories, as I said earlier, but there is a total shift that's required in the Western world to become uh, more equitable, more understanding, more in tune with, with society. So there's tons of stuff to do. I can't sit here and sort of just bash men because I I know tons of absolutely wonderful blokes who are doing amazing things. Um, You know, I know dads who have stepped out of work for a number of years to um, support their wife going back to be the principal uh, breadwinner. I know lots of blokes who aren't babysitting their you know, fully vested and they're they're sharing 50-50. So I know tons of good stories, but yeah, going to your point, it it, it is easy to be at the office. Um, You know, we all think it's stressful, but it's not anywhere near as challenging as, you know, going to Kensington Gardens with two kids, one who needs a bottle, um, just as the other one needs to go on a pirate ship and (laughs) you are stretched, right? The the struggle is real at that point. so, yeah, to go back to culture, you know, I I work in those kind of male-dominated um, sort of settings, and there's no bones about it. You know, I, I, I am an aggressive deal maker. I'm a relentless client relationship manager. Um, but you can do all of that while juggling your responsibilities at home, while juggling transactions, while you know, trying to be a decent parent. You just need to plan, be conscious and, you know, work in collaboration with everyone, for sure. Um, you talked about, you know, doing deals or being in really high-pressure, high-stake situations. I know you're in one of those at the moment. Could you tell us a little bit about how you're juggling, how yeah. you're managing it? Yeah, yeah, with difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly happy to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's the end of the year. Um, it's a really busy year for all three of the businesses. So I'm I'm really lucky I had my first landmark exit of a company, uh, which I had invested in five years before. Uh, and that was at the top of the year. And now I'm ending the year um, with both Krasner Capital and Krasner Consulting being in sort of, you know, real deal time. And yeah, how do I do it? So I work a lot at night. I um, I'm always around to put the kids to bed. Obviously, I have um, clients in both of my two main businesses. So that means we have dinners, we have breakfasts, we have, you know, all sorts of um, touch points where we have to be together physically. I generally try and do the drop off of my eldest, go to the office, um, be around most afternoons, sort of, you know, they both nap. So I try and use that nap time to, to continue to work. 
And then the kind of critical time family-wise would be, say, three until seven. I try and generally be around for that. Then I go back to the office or I do a networking thing or a dinner or whatever. I then go back to the office, um, which is my place to work. I'm not saying the office is the right right place to be, but it's just my way of working because home is home and office is office for me. I go back to the office and then I try, my wife and I share the nights with the little ones. So like last night was my night. So I came back, I did a dream feed, um, had a little cuddle, um, put the little one back to bed. Um, I normally do that and then log back on at home if it's my night and there's there's work to do. And then um, hope for a little bit of sleep, wake up in the morning. First thing I do is not, you know, cuddle or anything like that. It's literally go to the Nespresso machine, make the strongest <laughs> black coffee. I was going to say, when does sleep factor into yeah, your life? <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's never really been a feature. Um, you know, I'm an on- Are you not someone that needs sleep? No. Pre-kids I, I, as well? Pre-kids, I train myself to survive on very little sleep. Um, and I think that training was very helpful for what I try and do now. Um, when you say very little, how many hours do you need? <laughs> do I we mean, not I, want to know? No, I'm I happy, want to know. <laughs> I'm happy with five hours of sleep. You're happy with five hours? Five hours. Wake I up can. feeling fresh. You not fresh. We're parents. When did we last feel yeah, fresh? I, I mean, like, 2018. Joy's jo- 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 talking about the sort of yeah pre 2019 era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I can't claim any sort of freshness, but I can get by on that four or five hours of of of, of sleep. Yeah. So yeah, so I just I do that. So I log on again. Happy to do calls to Japan at four in the morning UK time. Um, you know, whatever needs to be done on my deals and then hope for some sleep, get up and do it all again. That's the, that's the way I do it. It's, ama- it's amazing. I'm impressed. You're, you're both, you're both, you're both <laughs> looking shocked and surprised. So mesmerize both of you. Um, yeah, I, it is just what it is. And then on the nights that I'm not on night shift at home uh, and Vanessa is leading the charge, I try and get more sleep or, you know, catch up again on the emails and so on. Because I think when you do these deals, there's sort of an ebb and flow and you just, you can't always control it. I can't sit here and say I've got this magic power to say that when 14 people are on a conference call, I can just say, no, 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 let's not do this conference call at that time. But I can use that time to say to my VP, okay, you join that one and then, I'll be back online later. You can brief me. Then we can sit down and we can get into the deal room and do the work together. There are ways to do it, but it's hard. I think it's really critical and it sounds very deliberate the way in which you've kind of approached your life from your 20s setting up the building blocks in order to then be able to balance and juggle in your 30s the way that you are. I often get asked a lot from women, you know, when's the best time to have children? Um, There's no necessarily good time, but I do think probably your 30s, at least you're um, more set up, hopefully, in your careers such that you do have a bit more flexibility. And that's the advantage of having children a bit later. Obviously, the negative of that is that having children later for females could be problematic in terms of actually being able to conceive etc so it is a bit of a juggling act that it sounds like you've really thought about and prepared your whole life set up for that but actually if you're working for someone else 
um, you don't necessarily have as much flexibility and it can be a bit challenging. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think, yeah, if you if you were to ask my mum, she would tell you that I've been a perennial planner my mm. entire life. So from the age of six, I was writing lists of where I would be at age 25 and wow. 30 and whatever. And I think that I've been immensely lucky to sort of follow that planning and then that luck having, or hard yeah, work hard and work, skill yeah. as well. <laughs> Definitely um, not the latter nor the middle, um, but the luck. No, it's it's it has been a combination, but luck plays plays a part in it for sure. Because you know none of this, your hard work kind of makes your luck, and your skill probably enables you to achieve these things and to have more control, as you say. But yeah, you, you definitely have to have the right balance because. I mentor an enormous number of immensely talented uh, women of all ages. And one of the questions from, you know, the younger mentees is when should I, when is the right time for me to take a year out to to have my first kid? And I say exactly what, what you've just said of, you know, you need to sort of, you need to make your own decision. There is no perfect time. As much as you want to have your four bedroom house in Wandsworth, your, um, career to be at a certain point so you can afford to have some sort of childcare arrangement, et cetera, et cetera. It might not be, that might not be right. And actually there are good arguments to say taking your foot off the gas and stepping out younger might then give you more runway to excel later on. So there's arguments on that side. There's also arguments to say, you are as a lawyer or as an asset manager or as a private equity investor or whatever, you are in in more control when you're in your 30s and that might be the right moment to do it. But it's completely personal. You know, I try and really sit down with mentees and, and look at all of the variables and there's so many and help them make the right decision. Um, but there's no there's no right answer. What we've done has worked for us and we're immensely lucky and happy but it, it's not the blueprint for all it's not one one size fits all and i'm interested in why you didn't go down the nanny route because it sounds like your family and definitely your jobs might benefit from that extra support yeah um control freak would probably be the uh, <laughs> the right the right phrase um to use so um because of our fle- because we both had flexible working, we wanted to use that flexibility to effectively have half days each. So when Ophelia was born, uh, Vanessa and I said, okay, you know, there's a morning shift and afternoon shift, but we're both around for the early morning and the, the, the evening slash put down. And we effectively did that for 18 months. So we were both working but we were working at either sides of the day plus the night. And that meant that we were able to do the days with our one daughter at the time. And that meant that, you know, I was signed up to Jimboree, Monkey Music, um, Action Amanda, all of the classes that yeah. you can you can think of in my in my section. And likewise, Vanessa was signed up to the same things in her section. And Ophelia had this, I think, really enriching life of some classes, some playground time, some outdoor walks, some play dates, and so on. And a nanny didn't necessarily fit into how we wanted to do it. 
and we were still able to work on deals and so on. There were moments, particularly when Ophelia was sick or one of us wasn't 100%, mm. where you did run into a problem and you thought, oh, wouldn't now be an amazing time to, uh, to have a nanny? Um, and we were able to navigate them because we have two fantastic grandmothers um, who were able to sort of help us when we were really in a crunch time. But they both lived far away. And it meant that they weren't with us sort of week in, week out. Yeah. But, you know, in those crunch moments, we did have some support. Um, we sadly just lost uh, Vanessa's mum, who was... Oh, sorry. So yeah, terrible. who was an amazing person. And she really... You know, your mother-in-law, when you have kids, it's quite a challenging relationship. Uh, <laughs> but I always admired and respected her ability to sort of just swoop in add value she was immensely kind and she she taught us stuff likewise with my mum as I said she played an important role in how I viewed parenting and then my mum who lives in Belgium was able to come over swoop in and kind of help when we were in that crunch moment but in general we wanted to sort of go at it alone um, and just roll our sleeves up and go for it it sounds like women have played a huge part in your life is that the driver, your mum, you know, what drives you? Is it is it your mum having done the juggling act for so long with you and your, I think you said your brothers? Yeah. Is that what drives you to be successful, the fact that you've seen your mum do it and you want to demonstrate to her or show her? Or I think you're absolutely right. Women have played a fundamental role in my upbringing and particularly my mum who you know who I tribute the confidence I think you said earlier you know I'm not one to worry what other people think I'm not um, and I'm pretty unashamed about that because you know I listen to people's views but ultimately these things are my decision I need to live and and sort of die by the sword sounds dramatic but it's the truth um, but I think absolutely mum huge role model for me you know gave me confidence gave me that sort of sense of you can do it I think that the success is something that I want to prove to myself so I think it's more the chip on my shoulder of saying you know I know that I can push myself quite hard and I know that there is a lot of exciting stuff to do and I want to actually grab those opportunities and do it and it's something I talk to my daughters about all the time I say you know to, the, to, to little Ophelia, who, who's now three, you know, that door's open, there's an opportunity there, go and, go and get it. You know, dream big. Dream big, dream big. And why, and why be ashamed of that? I think I grew up all over the world and in other parts of the world, that is the mentality. I think in the UK, we have a different approach to that ambition and that drive for success. You know, we almost try and sort of clip the, the tall poppies tall poppy syndrome and we we're, we're a little bit ashamed about people particularly women who are yeah. relentlessly ambitious and focused it's and almost driven. seen as a negative isn't it for a woman to say i'm really ambitious yes i want to get to the top of my career yes and that's exactly you know well, very much one of the reasons we set this up because it should not be seen um as negative it should be actually let's champion all women to ask for or at least have that determination to get to the top. If you are a man or woman who is wired that way with ambition, you have to go for it. 
you know, whatever career you're in, if you are that way inclined and your career is important to you and your, you know, what success is, is important to you, you have to go for it. And we have to champion it a lot more. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time with my mentees or just in groups, because I hold a lot of discussion forums, round tables. Um, I'm kind of an awkward person in this regard because I always say to people, we're having a round table. This isn't going on social media. This is just for us. Um, uh, which is why I've never really appeared on podcasts and stuff like that. I'm very much, let's do the work. Let's have these discussions. Let's do the important stuff. It's not about social media. Um, when I'm having those sorts of forums, I'm saying embrace your ambition, embrace what you want to do. I certainly have. When I was creating an investment bank and I came up with the idea at the age of 21, it was quite simple. I said, I've grown up in emerging markets there's no one in the UK investment banking M&A advisory scene that covers those emerging markets. One of my dad's mottos was play to your strengths. I have the strength that I can sit on a nexus between the emerging world and the UK. So why not try and get UK investors to invest in, in the emerging world? So there wasn't like this, you know, long deliberation of what do I, what do, I do? It was, I want to set up an investment bank here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go for it. And I say to other people who are coming up behind me, you know, particularly women, just absolutely go for it. Whatever it is, just go for it. I think it's amazing that you've had daughters, actually, so that you can instill this in them. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a gift. And I wonder, I've increasingly been wondering whether our education system actually sets us up to not dream big. Yeah. I wonder if it actually curtails us too much. Um, generally such that it actually stops ambition because I think as you get older you get less ambitious I mean I definitely when I was younger wanted to be a pop star yeah what happened to that dream (laughs) (laughs) I mean I know I'm sitting in front of a mic now so I pretty much nailed it but um, yeah it's I, I think you do as you get older slightly go down a sort of a route that's been prescribed for you Get more pragmatic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I think massively the education system in the UK does exactly what you've just described. And then I think it's perpetuated in the working world. So I think I was educated at international schools around the world as I was growing up. And then I came to the UK and I was very lucky. I got a rugby scholarship to a a top boarding school um, down in Dorset. And you know, liked the place, thought the people were nice, the education was good. It was, you know, the kind of classic boarding school life of cold showers and, you know, a bit of rough and tumble and whatever. And it was a cool experience. But when I said to the teachers that I wanted to do choir as well as play first 15 rugby, they were confused. They were like, no, you're a, you're a rugby scholar. You, you play rugby. And I was like, yeah, but I sing too. How about we have an open mind of how I use my time? And it was was a bit of a shock. And I think my experience, particularly at the British public school system, is very much you kind of have your one thing and that's the box that you Mm. orbit and that's who you are and that defines you. And, you know, someone here with three strings to his bow professionally plus, you know, being a really proud dad... There isn't one box that I can fill. So I do think that the education system needs to be more open to people finding their strengths, to encouraging ambition, 
to teamwork and collaboration. Why should um, a boy or a girl from public school or state school peg themselves against another boy or girl from public school or state school? Why can't we just say, you know, that person is talented in three or four things, let's support them and encourage them. And I think that's also the problem at work. In the UK, if you're a little bit odd and you do things against the kind of general direction of travel, you're not seen as innovative or shifting the needle. You're, you're looked at as slightly sort of as an outlier and a bit awkward. And I think that comes from the culture and the education system and then perpetuated at work. How do you bring that into your own businesses? How do you encourage and you know bring that out of your colleagues and people that work for you? I listen. I listen. I ask questions. And it's quite funny because I haven't got it right with all employees um in fact you know there's been moments where there has been tension and friction and, and we are we're in deal high performance you know high stress situations so you can't get it right all the time but what I try and do is I try and talk to people around me and say first of all I'm really open to reverse mentorship second of all I don't have all the answers I am the owner of these companies but actually that doesn't mean I know more than you we all have our perspective. Give them to me. Let me hear them. Let me hear about the struggles you're going through with your childcare. Let me hear about the issues that you have because you're being blocked on certain things with promotions and so on. And let's talk about it and let's try and re-engineer it. And of course, you can't get everything right, but you can try and you can make a point. You know, if I look at myself really brutally, I'd say entrepreneurship wise you know okay but management wise like absolutely shocking right if you look at it in the cold light of day I'm not someone who had even before kids that you know all that time to sort of sit down and and listen because my phone was ringing with my clients there was conference calls to join there was travel to be done and I've had to make myself take the time to to get better at that to listen to things and then try and structure it correctly. And I've been really chuffed with some of the response from my team. And I think we've done some cool things. So we have, you know, one year full pay um, maternity policy. Incredible. I really encourage paternity um, policy akin to that. So we actually haven't landed yet on what that paternity policy is mm -hmm. because I'm still trying to find my way, but for me, I think, you know, we want to have a shared parental policy. We want men to be encouraged to unplug, detach, take time out. I want to compensate them with their full salaries. So we're still figuring that out. But, you know, we've hit the point where we can engineer, evolve and innovate. And then hopefully that is some sort of standard to encourage our clients and the people in the ecosystem to kind of follow some of it. I was going to say, because that, what I think is great with companies, that feeds through to other, you know, that feeds through, doesn't it? People hear about it, know more about it. And I think it's going to feed into things like tendering processes and that sort of thing. You know, we already ask companies how they're doing from an ESG perspective, what their policies are. And I think that's going to become more and more important. Do you see that in your search business as well, presumably? Yeah, not enough, not enough. Mm. So uh, the search and management consulting business, we work for law firms, international US headquartered law firms, and we're board 
we're appointed by the boards, yeah. which means we don't necessarily go through that tendering process because yeah. we've built relationships with them. But when we do have the opportunity to talk about a piece of work or a new mandate, you know, sometimes I push back to the chairwoman or chairman and say, actually, you should be going out to four or five firms for this because I'm not sure if we're best placed to do it. And when you do that, one of the things you should look at is, will this matter be staffed by someone who is of diverse heritage? Will this matter be led by a woman? Um, so we push back quite a lot. We're happy to enter into a discussion. And then we advocate a lot um, in our sort of pro bono capacity on issues like that. So we do it in our deal work. And then we also just advocate. We've written letters, open letters to international law firms. We've um, held many a round table. We've done, you know, quite specific work in these areas. And then, you know, I'm really lucky because I've taken part in that. I've engineered some of it. And then it's led to, you know, some recognition in the amazing DNA awards fantastic space. yeah um, much deserved yeah well thank you there's hopefully um you know more of that to come but it's it's led to i think that recognition isn't about the recognition it's about the fact that we've done stuff mm -hmm. and that's what's exciting to me it's not the fact that my name was was in the daily telegraph at all it's about what did we do to get to that point and that's what excites me. I want to go and do more of that work, more of that advocacy. Substance over form. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And one of the things we want to do at Women Who Work um, is collate a sort of gold standard approach um, that other firms are doing already so that women can send it to their HR, or men can send it to their HR team and say, look, this is what other people are doing. This is working really well. Yeah. Could we implement it here? Because some of it's just about information sharing and... Yeah. Um, there is a bit of smoke and mirrors around policies and these sorts of things as well. And I think the more openness, the better, because increasingly women are going to make career decisions based yep. on the kind of support that their company is going to give them. Totally. And um, one of the... Sorry. Well, I was going to say, it isn't doing a favour as well to women or men going through that, because ultimately it generates loyalty. And over the course of a 30, 40-year career, um, you're going to get that time that money that you're spending and investing in your employees back. Yeah. So it's really, you know, it's a short period of time, six months to a year mm. for the, for your children, and you're going to get decades of yeah. work from that person. It's a mindset thing, isn't it? Because as an entrepreneur, as an owner, you know, you have to, you have to pay the bills, you have to do your deals, you have to build the business. Um, but so there's a lot of pressure in the short term to deliver and to make cash but if you really look at it and you alter the way your business is operating and you take more of a long-term view, you're exactly right. So having a one-year full-paid mat leave is cool, but actually you do ingrain loyalty. People come back, they like that policy, and they then want to deliver for the business. So actually you could argue that that policy is actually just to my benefit and I'm perfect. I'm always happy to have that conversation. And I think people are right. It's good for the employee, but it's good for us as a business. And it has to be, otherwise it's never going to make yeah. progress. I mean, in, and in this world of the problems we have with shortage of skilled labour and retention issues, it's critical that you do for the long term benefit of your business, you do implement policies that encourage and support people who are there and encourage people to come. 
absolutely 100% agree with that. You know, we all spend time sort of churning and burning in the business world. And actually, I think we need to look much more at retention. How do you make people more engaged? How do you make them more productive? How do you make them happier? How do you do all of that for the benefit of business? When I created Krasna Ventures, I wanted to completely knock the venture capital world on its head because VC is all about your ROI, right? What is your return on your investment? Now, I wanted to create a venture investment vehicle platform that would focus on investing into people of diverse heritage and female founders. But I wanted to prove that that creates ROI. And when I exited my first, my maiden investment at the top of this year, I made 30 times my money. In five years? In five years. And I did that not thinking that's going to get me 30 times my money. I did that thinking, here is an individual of diverse heritage, half Iraqi, half English, who quite frankly, you know, talented, but probably wouldn't have got the sort of anchor investment that I gave him from other sources. And I said, you know, this is a guy I believe in. This is an initiative I believe in. It promotes diversity and inclusion. So I'm going to do it. We worked absolutely, you know, harder than either of us could have ever imagined. And lo and behold, it produced that return. So you can do good and make money. They're not mutually exclusive where you have to, you know, create a bad culture, screw people over just to make money. And I think it goes to something I talk about a lot, you know, in in the industries that I serve or I work in. It is male orientated. It can be quite rough and tumble, aggressive and so on. And you can make a a choice to say you want to be dynamic and do deals and build business, but you actually want to have a conscious with how you do it. You want to be ethical and you want to involve people and you want to do things correctly. And that's what I'm advocating for an awful lot now. So where you have you know, male managing partners of law firms or heads of departments where you have senior asset managers, where you have um, private equity investors who are men, what are the decisions that they can make that will make the environment better for people of diverse heritage and, and women? What are the decisions and policies that they can put in place that will um, even out the playing field so people can achieve their true potential? And that's what I'm spending my time doing when I'm not being a dad and when I'm not doing my deals. I'm, I'm trying to advocate for greater change and still tons of work to do, but that's kind of what's on my Do you my think plate. that is, are you seeing it speed up at the moment? Are you seeing it, it's, it's happening? Yeah, it's it depends through? on which industry. So if you look at, for example, Krasna Ventures, when I created that platform in 2015, a bit like when I was creating my investment bank, people thought I was absolutely nuts. They were like, you're setting up a strategy to invest in startups without revenue or with a little bit of revenue who are founded by often first-time founders who are black, female, of diverse heritage. You're absolutely crazy. Whereas now, fast forward six years or so, seven years, and there's tons of firms that have gone and raised amazing AUM on that strategy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying 
that all of our work is done in that regard because we still, I think the statistic is something like 2% of, of, of venture investment at a certain stage is, is directed towards female-founded businesses. There's still tons of work to do, but at least there's other people who are not thinking I'm crazy and they're like, that's actually a really good idea. Think outside the box. Think outside Don't the box. Don't be constrained by the narrow lanes in which society puts you in. Exactly. And society is still trying to put us in narrow lanes, but we can, you know, break out and we can do things like this where we can club together and, you know. And make you feel like you're not alone in your ideas. Exactly. Exactly. So on that note, Nick, we always ask our guests to give us one of their biggest highs and biggest lows of uh, having children and returning to work. Yeah. Share yeah. some of your stories with us. Um, there's definitely uh, tons of things I could I could say on that. I think the high is having that optionality and being as lucky as I am to welcome two kids into the world, to love them dearly, to have the kind of family structure, an incredible wife who I can't say enough. With um, amazing hair. Good things. Who has amazing <laughs> hair? Who has amazing hair? She, she, she's got great hair. She's um, an amazing mother. And yeah, I can't talk um, highly enough about the three of the girls who are at home. So that is the high. Um, I also think there's highs of what I've learned from my late mother-in-law, my mum, my dad, who um, uh, was a diplomat and he was posted around the world. He did a lot of gender equality advocacy himself. So I can't say it's just my mum, my mum and that. So I think the highs are those learning points and what I've garnered from other people and what we've been able to create. I think the lows are, I think, the feeling of isolation that you get when you are trying to push the needle and people are calling you crazy um that's that's tricky and then there's so many bumps and bruises along the way with the kids when you know you think you're rocking out and you're you've got both girls in a double buggy or one's on the backboard and one's in the the pram and you're, you're off to the park and you know something happens where you're like oh god oh God, how did that happen? Um, so there's tons of them as well, but... Give them the wrong snack or something. Oh, yeah, I mean, the Pombe, like, crisis is real. Uh, and never say no to my daughter with her with her four o'clock ice cream, like, thing, because that does not go down well. So there's tons of lows as well, but it's about going with the, you know, rough and tumble, trying to stay focused on what the goal is, which is the family life, you know, continuing to build these businesses um, and, you know, enjoying absolutely every single second of it. Well, you said you felt isolation um, in everything you were trying to do. And from our perspective, you know, you're a trailblazer and it's fantastic and amazing support to women to see you do what you're doing and put this blueprint out there for people to follow. Um, I think from a personal perspective and also from an employer perspective, you know, there's lots of lessons that can be learned from your experiences um, to help move this forward and, and get women back working, get dads home for bath time. I think it's going to be beneficial for everybody. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It's been an absolute joy chatting to you and um, in this amazing studio as well, which you've brought us to, which is fantastic. Makes us feel like pop stars. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it certainly beats us being on a, a Zoom call. I'm always hiding in the nursery for a Zoom call uh, to record our podcast. So thank you so much. Oh. Um, and for all your support to women who work. And we really look forward to continuing to working with you and championing all of these causes. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Nick. 
Thank you so much for listening to our new Women Who Work podcast. Please help us to grow our listenership by subscribing, reviewing and commenting. And please do share with any friends or colleagues who you think may find this useful. Also join us on LinkedIn or sign up to the mailing list on our website, www.womanwhowork.uk to ensure that you never miss any of our content. If you'd like to be involved with Women Who Work or have any ideas for us, then please do get in touch on email at hello at womanwhowork.uk. Thanks again.